Well, on that note, happy Father's Day. It was a pretty, pretty cool video, and hopefully you found some humor in that, but also maybe, maybe a challenge. And I just want to say to all the dads out there, welcome, and thank you for being here today. And I think it speaks volumes uh, of the priority God has in your life, that you uh, spend your Father's Day in God's church with your family. And, and way to be a leader, and I just want to say thank you for, for doing that this morning. But before we get into uh, the Word this morning, I did want to share an exciting announcement with you. Um, we actually have a youth ministry candidate and his wife that will be here this Wednesday night. They will be sharing in the youth hour from 6.30 to 7.30, and they will also be a meet and greet reception with them from 7.30 to 8.30. And so two ways you can participate in that. First of all, church, let's pray, right? Let's pray for, for God's will to be done. I know this candidate, that's his desire. That's our desire as well. The second thing is also if you would participate. And so parents, that uh, meet and greet at 730 is for you to come, meet him, ask questions. He's going to have a, a small presentation there. Uh, youth, make sure that we're there, right? Wednesday night at 630 for youth group. Bring all your friends. Um, we just want you uh, to know about that, be a part of that. So please be praying for that. Be, be praying that God's will be done, but also uh, just be a uh, a part of it if, if that is uh, your area this Wednesday night. So I want to let everybody, everybody know about that. As we continue in this series that we started a couple weeks ago, this is the last uh, part of it um, called Swords and Thrones, The Life of Hezekiah. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. If you don't have your Bible this morning, you're welcome to follow along on your phone or if you have an iPad or some kind of tablet with you, download the Oakwood app. And right there are the sermon notes for you. It has all the scriptures, all the notes. There's even a, a way for you to take notes in the app. We want you to engage the word of God. We want God to speak to you directly through his word today. And if you're like me, sometimes you get in the word and something jumps out at you and you need to highlight, underline it, uh, make a note about it. We want you to engage with the scripture this morning as we look at the life of Hezekiah. Now, just to jog our memory back a couple of weeks ago to who is Hezekiah? Who was King Hezekiah? I just want to share with you just a few lines of chapter 18 when we're introduced to this king. It says in verse 3 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses has made. You might remember all that. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all of the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following him. Verse 7, and the Lord was with him, and he, had, he was successful in whatever he undertook. You read all that. You read that there's no king greater than him before him or after him for the kings of Judah. And you're like, wow, this guy is great. And so we're reminded of who he is. We're reminded of, of, of how he walked with the Lord and how he was close to the Lord. And remember that he had taken down all the idol worship and he had squelched all of the, all the false gods that were, that were um, leading Israel astray that his father had gotten them into at the time. And so all of that was happening. Then we got to last week and in chapter 19, we read about how he trusted in the Lord ultimately. He's like, I'm going to trust in the Lord, no one else. I'm going to simply trust in the Lord. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer and trust the results. So you remember last week that the Assyrian army is coming against them. And he actually gets a written threat. And what does he do? He, he devises a plan. No, he, he, he gets worried and anxious about it. No, he takes the actual papers up to the temple. He lays them out before the Lord and he prays to the Lord. And he says, God, I need your direction. I need your help. 
And we see how God had a plan to deliver Judah from the hands of the Assyrians as they're coming against him. Now, I, I say all that and you're probably like, wow, this, this guy was awesome, right? I mean, this, this guy was greatness for the kingdom of God. He was a king and, you know, I mean, surely if he's a great king, he's probably a great dad. And, you know, he's, he's managed his, his kingdom well. And so let's read the, toward the end of his story, beginning in chapter 20. So 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Wow. Praise to the Lord and ask for the Lord's mercy on his life. The Lord heals him. Amazing. Let's go down to verse 12. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses. A little strange. The silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine olive oil, his armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all of his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them, the Babylonians. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, well, what did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There was nothing amongst my treasures that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. It's, it's a weird turn, isn't it? I mean, he gets healed. He prays to be healed by the Lord. He's healed by the Lord. Babylon sends an envoy to him to, to, to you know, bear some gifts and say, hey, we're thinking about you. Sorry to hear about your illness. And he goes off in some prideful, braggadocious way and shows them all of the riches of the kingdom of Judah, the palace. I mean, he, he, he left no stone unturned, showed them everything. Now, if you read on in, in the... Uh, 
Old Testament, you read on to some of the prophets that will come and some of the Bible characters that will come, you find out that they are exiled to Babylon. Babylon's going to come in, overtake them, and actually take them away from Jerusalem, from Judah, and over to Babylon. There's going to be a series of things that happen. And many scholars believe it was because they saw what was in Jerusalem. It's because they were drawn to that. They saw they saw the riches and they said, hey, and they started devising a plan even at this time. It seems like a lot, of, a lot of people believe that this went back to him just kind of bragging and being prideful. We can do that sometimes when we get really comfortable. We can do that sometimes when we look at our achievements. We can do that sometimes even about God. We take credit for what God has done in our life. It's a slippery, it's a slippery slope. But a story really doesn't end there, does it? It says in verse 21, Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. In chapter 21, here comes his son. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations of the Lord that he had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all of the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all of the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Wow. So, if Hezekiah was granted 15 more years of life by the Lord, then three years into that, he has a son named Manasseh. Because it says here in the text that Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old, and we know that Hezekiah has passed away 15 years later. I wonder what kind of parenting Hezekiah had done. I mean, we, we read about all of his greatness, and I don't want to take away from that. I mean, the, the, the Bible says that, you know, he was a great king and had wonderful leadership, had a wonderful leadership because he had a wonderful relationship with the Lord, and he did so much good. But if you read Bible commentators about the life of Hezekiah, almost every single one of them say the same thing, is that he didn't plan well for the future. He didn't pass that faith to the next generation, not the next generation in Judah as king, but not even the next generation in his own household to his son, Manasseh. What happened here? What happened to the great king, one of the greatest kings of Judah? What happened to Hezekiah's life? Well, I think there's much we can learn from our text today about leadership and specifically about how to have legacy leadership. How do we leave a legacy? First thing is this. We must pass the faith on to the next generation. I'm talking about the Christian faith, the faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It must be passed on to the next generation. Don't just assume it's going to happen. Don't just assume that the culture is going to do it for you. But we as Christians must pass it on. I've said this before. Christianity is always just one generation from extinction. 
If, if one generation of Christians does not pass the faith on to the next generation, folks, it's over. And it's not just a Christian thing or a religious thing. This is true in business. If the business leaders of a company do not pass the vision and the values on to the next generation, guess what? That business is going to implode. <clears throat> and if you remember, right, just a few weeks ago, we went through a lot of businesses. They used to be great that we could all name Household names, Blockbuster Video, Pier 1 Imports, that cease to exist because why? Because they rise and they fall on their leadership. And we're called by God in our leadership, whether it be in a business or an organization or even in our home, we are called by God to pass the faith on to the next generation. That's why so many times as we mature as Christians, and, and I, I would say maturity is, is being deeper spiritually with the Lord. Sometimes that's an age thing. Sometimes that's, you know, it's a thing with your age. Sometimes, you know, maturity equals, hey, I'm getting a little bit older in the faith. But I'm talking even about just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing, that is changing you. <clears throat> that sometimes we're asked as we mature to give up our personal preferences Somebody say, oh, yeah, on that. You ever given up something for a younger Christian? Our personal preferences, some of our comforts, maybe even some of our traditions as a church, we give those up sometimes so that we can reach the next generation. You see, the message and the truth of the word will never change, but the methods in which we present it to the next generation should. How many churches do you know of that are maybe on the verge of closing their doors, they're on what we call in the church world, they're on life support because they didn't pass the faith on to the next generation. And so many times it was the immaturity of the mature believers that said, hey, we're not gonna do that kind of music in church. We're not gonna have that kind of seating. We're not gonna have that kind of, we're not gonna have that kind of children's ministry. We're not, we're, we're not, gonna, have, we're not gonna have lights. We're, we're not gonna have sound that's good. Uh, in fact, we're not going to have instruments, you know, that reflect the, the music that you hear on radio today. We're, we're going to stick with, with, with gothic instruments from the 1800s, and, and, and we're going we're to teach in an archaic way and not use the technology that God has given us to our advantage as Christians. And so we're going we're gonna to sit here, we're not going to pass it on to the next generation. We're not gonna, because, because really, I'm just not get, ready to give up, you know, my music and my songs and my, my stuff, my traditions. But so many mature Christians are called to give that up and willingly give that up because they see the value in passing it on to the next generation. Psalm 78 verse 4 puts it this way. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. That is a call to pass it on to the next generation. We do this at a macro level as a church family, right? But we also do this as a, at, a, at a micro level in our homes. We do it at a macro level in the church family, a micro level in our homes. We pass our faith on to the next generation. And according to the text in the story today, Hezekiah did not do that. He did not pass that faith on to Manasseh. He didn't build his life with the future in mind. And whether it was his pride and arrogance resting upon his laurels, or maybe he just fell proverbially, proverbially, proverbially asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
whether he just fell asleep at the wheel, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. We see that it wasn't passed on. We need to do it as a church, yes. But we need to do it in our homes. And dads, God has called you to lead the way. You're the father. According to scripture, you're the head of the household. The second thing this morning, you must tell and train up your children in the Lord. Let's personalize it now. You must, you must tell and train up your children in the Lord. Because if you don't, the price of it may be, may be dear. Reminded of this in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Now, do you, do you remember what's happened just before this? There was the death of Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua, they had led God's people into the promised land. That was fighting the battles and beating, beating the people groups and moving them back in the promised land over and over and over. Joshua, the strong leader, had now died. And then it says this in Judges 2.10. After that, after Joshua died, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So it wasn't just Joshua died. His whole generation had died. They'd been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Again, it's another biblical example of <clears throat> not passing the faith on to the next generation. Look what it says in Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That's the way God intends it to work. Is that they would commend the works of the Lord, the, the change that he's made in our life, the difference that he has made. And we would tell of those works and, and to another person, but they also tell those mighty acts from one generation, commend it to another generation. And it's personal, we have to take personal responsibility for this, and I feel like we're in a day and time where we love to blame shift, right? We can't own our stuff. It's always someone else's fault. One thing that goes all over me lately is we're gonna blame the government for everything. Now, is the government in a great place? Probably not. Can we have better leadership and have some legacy leadership there? Yeah. But I think sometimes people are putting their faith in that, oh, the United States can be a Christian nation, a Christian country with Christian morals and values in a Christian culture. Folks, I think that ship has sailed. If you don't think so, wake up. It's not the government that's going to save us. It's not the government that's going to pass it on to the next generation. And then sometimes I hear, you know, oh, we just need better public schools. If we, had better, if we had better schools and better leadership from above in the government and pour down into our schools and better leaders in the schools. Well, the fact is that governments and schools don't raise children. Parents do. Parents do. That, that's our job as parents. And what I'm afraid of is with the, with the devil in his, his cunning ways, he distracts parents from their most important thing, which is to raise their children in the Lord. We're going to make them great at so many things in life. We're going to be so smart and so good at this and have this skill set. But they're going to be great at so many things. We're not going to know the Lord and a generation's going to go by. And a Joshua that was a great Christian is going to have this lineage behind him where no one knew what the Lord had done. No one knew what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No one knew the priority of the gathering of the saints to worship the Lord. We must tell and train up our children in the Lord and quit making excuses and quit blaming everything else. We're to model our faith and our commitment to the Lord God Almighty in our homes so that it's lived out before our kids' eyes every day. And let me speak again to the dads. They hear every word you say. They see how you treat 
them and their mom. They see the priority of your life through how it's lived before their very eyes. And the evidence of this not getting done here is so obvious in the text because Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. I mean, you could say, okay, make the argument, well, he's 12 years old, he hadn't really found his way in life. Folks, if you had zero to 12 years with someone, I'm, pretty think, I'm thinking pretty much you could chart a course for that kid, right? I mean, you could set a big 12-year foundation before them. There's a lot that you could teach a child by the time they're 12 years old about the Lord and about the priority of their relationship with the Lord and how it affects their future and all of the rest of your life. But Hezekiah, the great king of Judah, didn't do it. Third thing, last thing this morning. We must model and mentor and equip, and I even say push, the next generation of Christ followers. We must model it, mentor, equip, and push the next generation of Christ followers. Now, if we're going to be 100% honest this morning, I think sometimes our modeling and our example has been poor. We have not modeled our Christian faith or our Christian walk well. And you've heard the line before about, oh, you got you to gotta practice, put into practice what you preach and put into practice what you believe. And I would say 100% and probably now more than any other time in history, it is so important that we actually walk out the faith that we believe we have. Because if we don't, let's be honest, sometimes it's really, really awkward. It's awkward when we don't walk it out. It's really awkward for us to tell our kids, hey, 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 you do this, and you don't do this, and you, you don't talk this way. But dad, I hear you say this language all the time, like it's okay. Well, hey, hey, that's a, that's a different thing you know, over here. You don't talk this way. But you, know, you don't have this attitude. You don't have this attitude, but, but you have this attitude. You see, and we see things in our kids that start to concern us. And a lot of times it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> Sadly, it's like, what in the world just happened here? Why is, my, why is my kid doing this? Now, I'm not saying all the time. I mean, there's a story in the Bible of the prodigal son. There's a reason he's called the prodigal son. He was raised in a Christian household. There was another brother that stayed walking with the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he stayed with his father. He didn't go squander life. But the prodigal son... Toward the end of his life, when he had squelched everything, what did he do? It says he returned to his father. He returned to what? He returned to his roots. Why? Because if you train up a child the way they should go, when they are old, when they grow up, maybe someday and life hits them in the face, they won't stray far from it. So don't feel like I'm, I'm judging you this morning if you're at this age and stage of life where you've had this kid that just went bing. I understand they have their own thing. Satan's after them. The world seems like they're after them. I, I get it. But don't stop trying to pray for them and to model for them love and grace in a relationship with Christ, to mentor them and to equip them, give them the skills and the tools they need and push that next generation of Christ 
followers. I hate it sometimes when I see things modeled, and I think it's so awkward also sometimes when you, you know, you're at the store, and, 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 and it's like you see a child, and you're like, man, they're just like their mom, or they're just like their dad. I mean, you can see it. It's really awkward when the parents are like, don't I behave this way. I know I do, but don't behave this way. It's really hard. It makes it awkward sometimes. I remember uh, several years ago when we had a daycare here at Oakwood Christian Church. We had a, a wonderful uh, Christian lady that was the leader of it. And I, when I came on staff here at Oakwood, I just thought, you know, she came to church here. And, and, and I, over time, I realized I never see her in church. Where is she on Sunday mornings? You know, it's like you're on staff. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know. You'd be here on Sunday mornings. But then I found out that she went to another church. And one time I remember I was in the, I was in the hallway. And I was, I was walking down the hallway and she was giving a family a tour for the daycare. And then the family is new to the area. And they said, well, hey, um, you know, what, do you, what do you think about this church? And do you like it here? And you know, do you attend this church? And she's like, oh, I don't attend this church. You should. It's wonderful. You know, I go somewhere else. Hey, this place is great. You should come here, you know. I just remember thinking, how awkward is this, really? You know, it's like, hey, I don't come here. It's not good enough for me. But, hey, for you, hey, you know, top not you should come. I mean, if I were, you know, but it was just so awkward. It's like, I feel like that's the way it is sometimes with Christians and trying to pass the faith on. And through modeling and mentoring, all those things, we say one thing with our words, but our actions show something else. And I think it's time for us to pay attention, especially if we want to have leadership. And a leadership that leaves a legacy on the world is to make sure that we are also allowing God to change us and mold us and redeem us. I think it's so vitally important. We see it in the Apostle Paul as he was a mentor. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And it wasn't just, hey, look at what I do. He took people, he put, their, he put his arm around some people and took it with him. People like Silas. Or do you remember Timothy? He takes young Timothy, an underling in the faith, and says, hey, follow my example as I follow Christ, and I'm going to mentor you. I'm putting my arm around you. You're walking with me. We're going to go to this place, and we're going to learn to evangelize together, and we're going to learn to teach, and you're going to learn sound doctrine from the Word of God that's truth. You're going to know how to refute the false teaching and all that the world's going to throw your way. You're going to know how to do all these things, and it's going to be awesome. What a mentor. What an example of that that we have in the Apostle Paul. But we're also called to equip. We're, we're to model, to mentor, and equip. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 reminds us of this. In Ephesians 4, 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are called to be equippers. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't feel like I'm an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. The word teacher there is this Greek word didactikos. And what it gives us is this idea of passing not only information, but passing a way of life on to someone else. Isn't that what we do as parents, grandparents? Isn't that what we do as Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and people who walk out and live out ministry work for the kingdom of God? is God can use us to affect the next generation of Christ's followers for him. 
And I also said that we need to push the next generation. We need to plant seeds. We need to have the conversations. We need to put them in a place where we get their input. We use some of their ideas. We need to allow them to take the reins sometimes. There's nothing like mentoring and allowing that to happen. I remember uh, the youth group was uh, helping out at uh, Meadow Lake Park, helping the Kiwanis. Um, and uh, I had a couple daughters uh, that were helping that night with the youth group. And I went out there and they said they need a couple of adults to uh, drive the train. And I was like, oh, bucket list. I mean, isn't that the coolest thing to do in Enid is to drive the Kiwanis train? I mean, I've always wanted to do that. And I was like, here's your opportunity, you know? So, so we go to Middle Lake Park, and I remember the lady, uh, you know, sitting there at the train, and it's running, you know. It's like, hey, you pull this lever here, you do this. And now you got to remember, when you get to these, you know, these angles, you got to slow down a bit. You don't want to derail this thing. And you want to, you know, do this, and you got to turn this knob and pull this back. And then when you get over there to the tunnel, you got to sound the whistle, but don't sound the whistle in the tunnel. Because life won't be the same. And, you know, when you get over this crosswalk, you got to do this. And if you get on that straightaway, I know on that straightaway, you just want to put it down. But if you get going too fast, it's hard to slow down. You got to do this and ring the bell here and honk the horn here. And she does all this. And I'm like, wow. And I'm going to have lives on this train with me in just a few minutes. But then she did the best thing she could ever have done. She climbed up in the thing and she sat in the second seat there. And she said, come Come, let's, let's go on a test ride. Let's, let's do it once. And I was like, Whew. okay. Because I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. But I was overwhelmed. And she took me around and she showed me where to slow down and where to sound the whistle and how to do everything and slow down here and you can speed up here and, and how to get people safely and, and keep them alive as they drive the, the train at Meadow Lake. And I remember how much fun it was. And, I, I, man, I think I drove that thing. 15 or 20 trips that night for two hours, and I learned that you want hearing protection when you sound that horn all night. I've just never been the same. But, uh, but it was great because, you know, people would come back to the tunnel alive every time. You know, it's like I did my job. But it was so great because I just remember her mentoring me. Her actually, t- it wasn't just here, this is how you do it. Mic drop, I'm out. She was like, no, we're going to get on here. You're gonna do, I'm going to teach you, and I'm actually going to show you, and I'm going to sit along beside of you and show you the knobs and how to do this and how to do this and how to go all the way around the park and do it safely. And um, I'm saying, that's the way it needs to be in the faith. We, we, we tell each other what to do. We teach each other what to do, but we don't show. We don't walk alongside of each other. We don't jump up in the co-pilot seat and say, hey, take the reins. I know you've been recruited to teach Sunday school, and you're like, man, I've never taught before in my life, but I'm telling you what, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it with you for a year, a semester. And the Lord's going to use you and develop you, and I'm going to help. You know, I know that you've never been a, been a part of this ministry or, or been a part of this part of God's church, but I, I want to help you. And we have a heart that will pass the faith and the ministry on to the next generation because we will model it. We're not going to just say it. We're actually going to live it. We will mentor Take them alongside, put our arm around. We will equip them. We'll give them the tools and the skills and the knowledge that they need. And then we will push that next generation for Christ Jesus. Hezekiah was a great king. Hezekiah was one of the greatest leaders of Judah. He was great in changing the past of what Judah had been with their idol worship and all that. He was great at dealing with the present problems and fixing them and getting the nation on the right footing. But there's little evidence that he was great or concerned about the future 
And what would happen to that next generation if he passed away? And if we want to have a legacy leadership, a leadership that's going to make an impact and live beyond us, we have to care about tomorrow more than we care about today or yesterday. I think so many times we fall in love with the past. We fall in love with the present. But think about the future. Grandparents, parents, dads. Think about the future. Think about the future and that you need to pass it on to your children. And I know some of you are like, I don't feel equipped. I just became a Christian like six months ago. What are you talking about? Find someone to mentor you. Start attending the Wednesday night stuff, the Sunday morning stuff. Start building relationships with those in the body of Christ and find that person that you can look up to in the faith and say, hey, can you teach me? Can you mentor me? Can you, can you walk with me? Can you sit in the co-pilot seat and let me take the reins with someone that's overlooking me and that can help me? I love this verse. Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love that verse because it shows God's concern and the stability that is offered in Jesus Christ. God's concern for yesterday, today, and forever was given to us through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was really about the future, wasn't he? It was about for those in that time and the ones that would come after him. Here is the promised one. Here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here is the promised Lamb of God. And God shows his concern for yesterday and what has happened in the past, for today and what is happening in the present, and for forever what will happen in the future by sharing his son Jesus with us. And if you're feeling maybe a little bit disappointed in yourself or a little whoop today, I'm here to tell you God can still use you and it's not too late. I don't care if you're a 25-year-old dad, if you're 35, if you're 50, or if you're 70 and you got kids in their 50s. It's never too late to have a conversation. It's never too late to model love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's never too late to show them who Jesus is through your attitudes and your actions and your words. It's never too late. Don't sit here this morning and be like, well, it's too, yeah, I blew it. Like, you know where my son and my two daughters and my, you know, were their kid and their kid, I mean, I've lost. I've lost that generation and probably the next generation because, you know, I'm here to tell you it's not too late. It's a great thing about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever is he's still here. He's still transforming lives. He's still the hope of the world. He's still the hope of your future and the future generations in your household and the future generations of God's church. Jesus Christ is the one. He's still, he's still on the throne. And he's coming back someday in physical form. But until that time, we are called by God to live lives of legacy leadership. I think for each one of us here today, it means something slightly different. For some of us, we've got to clean up our act. For some of us, it's our, it's our example. It's our modeling. For some of us, it's something very specific. It's, it's, our, it's our language or it's, it's our, our attitudes or our thought process or it's some kind of equipping that we haven't done. But whatever it is for you, remember that with the Lord's help, And through the power of Jesus Christ, all things are possible. All things are possible. It's not too late. 